Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Welcome today. If you're new with us, thanks for joining us. Church family, uh, I miss seeing your faces We uh, are, I think, wisely waiting to see what the impact of kids going back to school is going to be on our families and and on our community as far as coronavirus cases go. Uh, So we're waiting just a little bit longer. Please pray for us as we see God's wisdom and discernment uh, about um, gathering again in person. And you know, our schools were we started officially started this week, but only got two days in because of Hurricane Laura. We're thankful that that did not hit us directly here, and yet we pray for those um, areas and those families that were devastated by the hurricane. So we're still waiting to see this week as kids really go back to school what the what the impact will be on our community. So in the meantime, we are just continuing to meet in this way and so glad that you're joining us. And this week and next week, I want to spend some time talking about discipleship. That word disciple simply means someone who follows Jesus. And I want to start with a quote. This is from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He said, if you want to build a ship, don't summon people to buy wood, prepare tools, and organize the work. Rather, teach the people the yearning for the wide, boundless ocean. Now, I love that quote because what he's saying is that if you want to get um, people going in a direction, if you want to see something really accomplished, that there's this motivation, this drive, this a genius that comes out of a group of people when they begin to see the big picture. And I just want to paint a big picture from the word of God today on discipleship. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. If you have a copy of the scriptures, if you have a, a device that you like to read the Bible on, start turning there to Mark chapter 5. And what I want to make a case for today is why the best thing you could ever do for anyone is to help them follow Jesus. The best thing that you could ever do for anyone is to help them follow Jesus and that following Jesus is worth the risk. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're like, Chris, do you remember that we're living in the time, the age of political correctness, and we're living in the age of tolerance? And so if you start saying stuff like that, people are going to think that you are intolerant, that you're narrow-minded, that you are full of hatred or bigotry towards them because they don't believe necessarily what you believe. And what I want to say is that to, to, um, to help someone follow Jesus is actually the most loving thing that you could ever do for a person, the most loving thing. And I, I want to show you why today from the scripture. This is uh, Mark chapter 5, and 
I'm going to start reading in verse 21. It says, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Verse 27, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is one of my favorite uh, accounts from the life of Jesus, from his ministry. It's a story that we find in three of the four gospels. And these gospels were written by the eyewitnesses of Jesus telling what they saw Jesus say and do. And uh, clearly, multiple of them saw Jesus do this and say these things. And so it's a really special story for us because it's filled with truth. And I want to look at it through the lens of discipleship today. The first thing I think it shows us, and it's kind of the, the main idea of the, of the story, is that Jesus can do what no one else can do. Right? You, you can't miss that. Jesus can do what no one else can do. We have these two characters that we immediately connect with in the story. Jesus gets off the boat. He's come off from the, the Gentile side of the sea. Now he's here back in kind of Jewish territory. And this crowd comes and this synagogue leader named Jairus comes and you know prostrates himself down before Jesus. And he begs him, he begs him to come and heal his daughter. Now, I just imagine if you have a child, right, you, you probably feel the same way too, that you would do everything that you could do to help your child. I, I mean, I imagine that he's tried everything. He's, he's had the doctors there. He's had, uh, you know, um, probably he's tried his grandmother's or his aunt's, you know, um, advice of try this or do this. Maybe he's had um, Jewish rabbis or, or, or other Pharisees come and pray for her. Like he's tried everything that he knows to do and nothing's worked. And the child is so ill that the child's about to die. Then we have this, this woman who is in the same desperate condition. It's like she's tried everything 
She's um, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. I mean, can you imagine bleeding like this? This woman, we, we believe it was a menstrual bleeding, would be anemic, right? She'd be physically depleted. She would feel bad because she's losing blood constantly. She was, uh, not only was it physical, but because of the purity laws of, the, of this day of the Jewish people, she would be considered unclean. And so a woman that was bleeding like this is unclean for every day that she's bleeding, which means for every day for 12 years, she's been unclean, which means she's been separated from her family. She has a husband. She's been separated from her husband. She has children. She's been separated from her children. She has a mother, father, sibling. She would be separated from those that she loved and lived with. She'd be separated from her her synagogue, her faith community, because she would not be allowed to partake in any of the worship there because she was unclean. This is a woman who would have had to announce to people that were walking uh, close to her on the street, hey, I'm unclean, don't come close to me, so that they could shoo themselves away. I, I imagine parents, you know, kind of trying to keep their children away from this woman who's unclean. And it's not just physical, it's emotional, it's, it's relational, it's, it's, it's financial. It says that she spent everything. She's bankrupt and that she's endured much. I mean, can you just imagine the doctors at her time, like they didn't know all the things that we know and what kind of things were they putting her body through just to make this stop? She's endured much at the hands of many doctors. And so we have these two people in this desperate condition. And I just imagine how powerless they must have felt. Like we tried everything, nothing's working, and they just feel totally powerless. Have you ever felt like that before? Like you've just tried everything in that illness or that struggle or that relationship or that thing. It's like you just, you, you, you've tried everything and nothing has worked and you just feel desperate. You feel powerless. And clearly the story, this moment is, is Jesus demonstrating his power in our powerlessness that he can do what no one else can do. The word that we use, the theological word is omnipotent. That Jesus is the son of God. He's fully God and fully man. And he's displaying the power of God, that God, the God who made the heavens and the earth and created every living thing and holds it all together by his word. The God who, um, who has power over the wind and the waves has power over illness and sickness and death. He can do what no one else can do. He has all power, omnipotent. When it comes to discipleship and why would I follow Jesus or why would I help anyone follow Jesus? First, we need to understand that because we want people to know the one who can do what no one else can do. The second thing that I think is important is that we see this in the story Jesus hears your heart cry. Jesus hears your heart cry. 
You know, as parents, we are especially attuned to the different cries of our children. There's a, a certain cry that's like a whine. It's like they're just whining, they're kind of complaining. Or there's the fit. They're like, they're crying because somebody told them no, like mom told them no or dad told them no, and they're mad. Like they are crying because they're pitching a fit right now. Then there's the cry that is uh, kind of a, a put on. It's like a fake cry, like I'm trying to get my brother or my sister in trouble. And so you hear that cry and you're like, eh, that's not really a cry. But every now and then you hear that like gasping cry, like when your child has a major fall, a major accident, it's like they're gasping for air and it's like they cry, but it's like the, it's like the silence as they're trying to get breath to cry like even harder. And it's like your ears tune to this kind of a cry. And as a parent, you just drop everything and run to pick them up, to hold them, to comfort them because they've been severely hurt. We're tuned to certain cries. And what we see in the story is that Jesus is tuned to the heart cry of faith. That's what we see in Jairus. Verse 23, come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. Meaning like, look, we've tried everything. No one else can do this, but you could do it. Would you come? The woman Right, she, she thinks to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Like she's like, I just, I know, like you know, nothing's worked for 12 years, but if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. There's a heart cry of faith that Jesus is tuned to. It's the reason why he goes when Jairus comes. Like he hears faith in the man. It's the reason why the, all these people are touching Jesus, and yet this one woman who touches him, she's healed. It's because there's, there's, there's this attuneness to the heart cry of faith. And if Jesus hears your heart cry, then what cry is he hearing from your heart? Does he hear faith? Does he hear faith in me? Does he hear faith in you? Does he hear desperation like, Lord, no one else can do this, but you can do this? Or is it still kind of like, ah, I hope you'll help me out, but I'm really trusting in this thing over there. Does he hear complaining or fit throwing? Or does he hear faith? See, when it comes to discipleship, why? The best thing that we could ever do for anyone is to help them follow Jesus is that we know that all of us have a heart cry. We're all looking for something and yet we're oftentimes looking in all the wrong places. And there's a heart cry that needs to come forth that when we finally realize like all of these roads are dead end. And we say, but you, Jesus, if, if I could just touch you, if you could just lay hands on her, then I'd be well. She'd be well. She'd live. There's a heart cry that Jesus is tuned to. The third thing that I think is so important, so beautiful, is that Jesus can make you whole. Jesus can make you whole. 
it's interesting to me that Jesus stops everything in the story. <laughs> Jairus, who begs him to come, Jesus goes, and it's like immediately Jesus is interrupted by this, this other scene, this other character, this woman who touches him, and he feels the power go out, and he stops. He's like, whoa, like somebody just touched me, and, and this is a crowd full of people. I, I imagine the disciples are kind of like in bodyguard mode, like they're kind of following Jesus and people are pressing up against them and they're reaching through and, and touching Jesus, right? And, and so they're like, what do you mean? Like everybody touched you. You've, I mean, who knows how many people touched you just now? What do you mean someone touched me? And Jairus, who's like, like, seriously, like right now, do we have to settle this now? Because my daughter is about to die. The, the anxiousness, the, the agitation growing inside of Jairus, and yet Jesus just stops. He's like, whoa, somebody touched me. Felt the power go out. I believe that Jesus stops everything because although the woman's bleeding had stopped, her healing was not complete yet. We see this in verse 33 the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. And told him the whole truth. Verse 34. Daughter, he said to her. Now just pause for a minute. And I just want you to imagine what that word felt like. To the woman who's been labeled unclean. Who's lived separated pushed out of society for 12 years because she had an issue that made her unclean, filthy, dirty. Like, get her away. Like, kids, don't touch her. Nobody touch her. She's dirty. And in that moment, Jesus says, daughter, I mean, can you just hear the acceptance, the, the inclusion of like, you're one of us, you're in the family, daughter. And in one word, one moment, one surgically precise, redemptive moment, Jesus brings wholeness. He says, daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. The Greek word for save is the word sozo, which means save, but it also means made whole. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Jesus stops everything. Because though the woman's issue had been solved, her healing wasn't complete. Because she could have left there a woman who had been physically healed and yet was so emotionally and relationally scarred that she could not function in 
life. And it was to God's glory to stop everything and to say, daughter. I've shared this story with you before, but a couple years ago, before we planted the church, I was driving into Houston along US 59. I was going to join with other church planters. We were meeting with this expert who was helping us figure out how to put into words the, the mission, the calling, that, uh, that big, uh, that yearning for the, the wide, boundless ocean, like statement that we could share with people about this thing that God's calling us to do in planting a church. And I was just kind of wrestling with that and thinking about what that, those words were. And as I'm on my way, I'm uh, immediately kind of up on the scene of a massive wreck. I'm one of the first people. I'm just, I lay on my brakes, come to a screeching halt. I'm kind of thinking like someone's going to hit me from behind because this is 59 and people are going fast and thankfully nobody hits me. We're all kind of screeching to a halt on the road and my adrenaline's just pumping. And then as I'm sitting there, just kind of letting my adrenaline fade, this man in army fatigues runs past my truck towards the center of this accident. And I look up and I can see in this, this car that was all mangled in the middle that there was some steam or some smoke coming off the hood. And I just kind of had that thought of, you know, Chris, you should probably go see if you can help. And so I kind of reluctantly got out of my car and cautiously walked towards this vehicle that might blow. I don't know. And there's a man in the car and he's badly hurt. He looks like maybe he's hit his head on the windshield. We're not sure uh, what's happened, if he's had any kind of internal injuries or something, but he's just shaking, like just uncontrollably shaking. He's in shock and we're asking him like, what's your name? And he can't talk and, 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 and is there someone we can call? And he reaches for his phone and he can't, he can't unlock his phone. We, 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 there's nothing that we can do and we're just kind of waiting for EMS to arrive. And I just said, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor. Can I, can I pray for this man? And I'll never forget like putting my fingertips just gently on the sides of his head as he was just kind of shaking and just praying, Lord, would you heal this man? Lord, would you just reveal yourself to this man? Lord, just remind him of every true thing he's ever heard about you right now. Just please heal him. Please preserve his life right now. And as I'm praying this prayer and this holy moment's taking place with these total strangers praying with me, all of a sudden, the people that have been stopped on this highway start to get angry, like they just all of a sudden got super impatient because they're stuck on the highway and then I hear engines revving and people trying to pass each other and, and horns are honking and people are flipping each other off and just hands are going in the air and I can just tell like this is getting really ugly. And it's like in this holy moment where at the same time the, the worst of human nature was manifesting. It was just like this burden of my heart. I walked away just feeling kind of overwhelmed, got back in the car. I'm driving to that meeting, just kind of like shaking inside, thinking about what I'd just seen. And I just felt like the Spirit of God dropped a phrase into my heart in that moment. And it's this, helping people 
become people again. Something has been lost. We all know it. There's parts of us that don't function like they should. We, we do things or say things that we know like we shouldn't do that and we don't know why we can't stop. It's like there's this brokenness in us. There's moments when we should be crying with someone on the side of the road. Instead, we're flipping someone the bird. It's like we just feel this brokenness in us and the glory of God is to actually bring us back to what he intended us to always be, to turn us back to the people that we were always meant to become. But that only happens, it only happens through Jesus who can make you whole. Blaise Pascal said it this way, not only do we um, not only do we only know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know the meaning of our life or our death of God or of ourselves. You see, the paradox is that in seeking ourselves, we actually wind up losing ourselves. But in seeking Jesus and turning to him, it's like we not only find this God who loves us, this God who is so wonderful, but we actually find ourselves too. Lastly, closing, I just wanted to say to you, Jesus is worth the risk. He's worth the risk. Both Jairus and this woman took massive risks to turn to Jesus. Jairus was a synagogue leader. He would have been a pastor of like a Jewish congregation. And lots of people in that Jewish congregation would have thought that Jesus is like this crazy radical nut job that we should have nothing to do with. They would think that maybe he was even demon possessed or that he was just this rebellious radical that's going to make the faith system totally fall apart. And so when Jairus, their pastor, is you know kneeling before Jesus, begging him to come lay his hand on his child, what would his congregation think? This is a massive risk. Or this woman who, who's risking, basically violating all the purity laws that she's been living under for the last 12 years as she's going to walk into a crowd and touch people to get close enough to Jesus. And what would they say? What, what would they do if they realized that this unclean woman like came into their space and touched them? And, and what would... Uh, a holy man, a rabbi say, if he realized that this unclean woman had reached out and touched his clothing. They took massive risks. You see, following Jesus always involves risk. There's always a cost to it. We live in a nation Thankfully, we're, we're not worried that we're going to lose our lives be, from our government or something because we follow Jesus. Like We don't have the kind of persecution that some people around the world are facing right now. But we still have risks, don't we? 
right? Some of you, if you grew up in a family that was a Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or atheist, or even a family that was Christian, but had reduced Christianity to just being nice to people, and you have a sincere turn of heart towards Jesus, and you begin to seek him fully with your life, you begin to follow him, your family probably won't understand you. They won't get it. It won't make sense to them, and they're going to think that you turn your back on them. They're going to struggle with that. And it's going to involve risk. It's going to cost you to follow Jesus. There are going to be some of you that have a relationship with a person and you know it's not right. You know it's not godly. And to follow Jesus is going to cost you. Like it's, You're going to risk that relationship to follow Jesus. He's going to ask you to step away from that. Some of you, it's the social capital that you've been building at work and you party like they party and you talk like they talk and you do what they do. And it's been good for you in the workplace that you don't have a uh, moral obligation to do otherwise. And now all of a sudden, Jesus comes into your life and begins to change your world and to follow him will cause you to risk all of that. It could cost you. I remember when I first came to Jesus and I had to break up with my girlfriend and I, I, I was, found myself sitting at home alone on the weekends because I wasn't fun to have in the crew anymore. It cost us, but I just wanted to say what Jairus would say and what the woman would say if she could stand here right now, what I would say to you what many other believers would say to you right now is that we would all say, totally worth it. Jesus is worth the risk. (laughs) Because when you risk it for Jesus, what you find is a big powerful, saving Father God. You find your Savior, Jesus, this one who can do what no one else can do. You find that Jesus laying himself down on a cross for you. Like to to be able to forgive you and cleanse you and wash you clean and to pay for the debt of your sin. He laid down his life. It was the Father's will to crush him so that he could look to you and I and he could say, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. And he's going to fill you with resurrection power to actually be able to live out this following of him. Fill your life with wholeness and joy. He's going to speak to the heart cry in you. It's the best thing you could ever do for anyone is to help them follow Jesus because following Jesus is the risk worth taking. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.